Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I am the sum of every decision that I have ever made. Every choice, every consequence has led me here to this moment in time. But at the same time, I'm the youngest I will ever be. I have my whole life ahead of me. How do I want to live it? How do I want to engage it? Hey, everyone. Welcome to Human to Human, brought to you by the Revolt Podcast Network. Human to Human is a space to reimagine self-love, strengthen interpersonal relationships, and peel back the layers of the human experience, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Stacey Ike, and I'm so glad that we are on this journey together. Just had to say that, y'all. Thanks for rocking with me. This episode's guest is Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., spiritual teacher and co-author of The Seven Secrets to Healthy, Happy Relationships. His name might sound familiar as his father is the author of The Four Agreements. So you can see that the wisdom runs deep in the family. Miguel and I got human to human about communication and romantic relationships, things to consider before we blame our partners, you know, some some self-responsibility, and the importance of honoring personal commitments so our relationships with others can thrive in honesty, love, and freedom. So I'm telling you now, this is definitely one of those conversations that'll be on repeat because learning how to communicate never gets old. As always, I like to send a few recommendations your way based on the conversation you're about to hear. So let's get into it. This episode's song of the week is Love and Adoration by Madison Ryan Ward. My girl Megan put me on this, so shout out to you, Megan. This week's book is The Seven Secrets of Healthy, Happy Relationships by today's guest. And while you're listening, reflect on this question. Where do you need to rebuild your self-commitment in order to honor the commitments of others? Now, let's get human to human with Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. We have Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. in the building for the show today, the author of The Seven Secrets to Healthy, Happy Relationships. Thanks for being here. Oh, Stacey, thank you so much for having me in your program. It's, a, it's an honor. Yes, of course, of course. So I first want to, again, say that this book was the perfect recipe between one thing that I noticed a lot was nuance, right? Like in one chapter, you would talk about a habit that you would talk about habit, let's say um, communications, right? And then in another topic, when you talk about release, you still gave the nuance of how those two things work together and how there are always little details in between them that can change a circumstance or change how we see something, especially in a romantic relationship. And a big part of the show is how do we deepen our interpersonal relationships. And so this book to me is such a perfect illustration of, and let me not say perfect, because one thing you also did not talk about is how perfection exists. So it is such a beautiful illustration of how to have those communication, you know, habits and and how to stretch ourselves within our romantic relationships and within ourselves. So at first, do you want to identify what the seven habits are, or would you like me to do that? I can do it. And the first one is the foundational secrets. It's the, the secret to communi- commitment, sorry. Mm-hmm. Then the secret to freedom and the secret to awareness. Those mm-hmm. three intertwine. The commitment is like the commitment to myself. I'm going to follow through. You know, it's, uh, in all allegories, my, my friend, our teacher, once taught me this lesson. The key to enlightenment is effort. Effort is using the energy that animates this body, that animates this mind to manifest something. That's what effort is. So you can say discipline discipline is remembering to apply that effort every day and success is falling through. 
So the commitment in that element is I commit myself to putting the effort to myself and to me and helping myself heal. And with that, I go into realizing that I am free. I am a living being that has the full potential to be anything in life. Right now, at this very moment in time, I am the sum of every decision that I have ever made. Every choice, every consequence has led me here to this moment in time. Mm. But at the same time, I'm the youngest I will ever be. I have my whole life ahead of me. How do I want to live it? How do I want to engage it? And the reason why I know this is the youngest I will ever be is that if you take a picture of me right now and you show me that picture in a few years, I'm going to say, look at how young I was. And I know that because I'm already doing that with pictures that people took of me on a present day some time ago. Mm. So I know this is the youngest I will ever be. And I have my whole life ahead of me. And that's what my freedom is. I'm free to live life. And the awareness is getting to know myself. What triggers me to take things personally? What triggers me mm. to make an assumption? What triggers me to make me feel inferior or that I've given away my power? And at the same time, what choices I can make to empower me to love myself and let go. It, 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 it works both ways. So they can say these are the foundational secrets of working within myself. I can't give what I do not have, which means the transformative secrets in our relationship. So you start applying those three things to this relationship and realize that healing is a pivotal moment. I can't give what I do not have. So I begin to heal myself. And once I have that ability, I'm able to begin to heal the relationship with the people in my life. For example, knowing the difference between guilt and remorse. Guilt is punishing yourself over and over again for something you wanted to do. And if life were to give you a chance to do it again, you would still do it. But every time you think about it, you judge yourself, you punish yourself, but you would still do it. Hmm. Remorse, on the other hand, is seeing the ripple effects of my actions, seeing how my actions impacted someone else. And if life were to give me a chance to do it again, I wouldn't because the consequence wouldn't be worth it. So you can say, I apologize, not from a point where I have guilt or I want to be back in your good graces, but I apologize without remorse of seeing how my actions impacted you. And it's the apology of someone that doesn't necessarily going to get forgiven, but someone who owns this is what I've done. And we begin to heal those wounds. Mm -hmm. You can say my partner begins to do that with her, him, her, himself. And there you go. And with the, here's the thing. Once you heal, then the secret of joy comes in because the joy, you can say, what's, let's, let's imagine joy to be this level of intimacy that we have. When we have hurt, we have pain, that intimacy closes up. This flower closes up because it's too painful, it's too open. But as you begin to heal, this flower that is called joy or commitment to myself, or you can say this intimacy with myself is a moment where I allow myself to once again feel. And when you have a couple that have been with their guard up the whole time, slowly open up at the same time, then all of a sudden those wounds are no longer there inhibiting the sixth secret, which is communication. All of a sudden, we're willing to talk to one another. 
So you can say that joy, you can say it's about, if you're, if you have a wound about your sensuality, which is about your senses, to how this body feels, and you feel guilt or shame or whatever, those wounds make me put up my defenses, which make me stop listening, stop seeing someone else as a human being, but it's just someone of potential that's gonna hurt me and that trauma that comes with it. But mm -hmm. if I give myself the permission to heal, then this begins to open up. And in a relationship, when two people do this together, the level of intimacy allows for communication to truly flow. So you can say it's the healing process, hmm. which takes us to the seventh secret, which is the ability to let go, to release that image of who this person was and be willing to see who this person is. Mm -hmm. For example, my wife is not the same person she was when she was 28 when we first met, when we were 30, when we had our first child. Uh, she's not the same person she was when she was 35 and 40, and I'll stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's changed. She's, she's evolved because she's sure. been living life, and life has given her all these experiences that have evolved. If mm -hmm. I only see her as she was in her 20s or 30s, then I'm not seeing the person who I'm in love with or in mm -hmm. marriage with. I am only seeing a projection. So you can say that part of that healing, part of that opening the communication of the intimacy is all of a sudden the willingness to see the person that's in front of me. It's no longer about understanding women or men. It's about understanding the person that's in front of you. That's because I was able to understand the person that's in this being, in this body. And mm. you can say that is the secret to the, the relationship where all of a sudden I'm not afraid to love. And because I don't have that fear, it allows me to be free. So that commitment to self and the relationship, of course, so commitment to follow. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. Follow through that freedom to realize that I'm the youngest I will ever be. I have, I can go in any direction in life. In what direction do I want to go in? Awareness, get to know myself, get to know that element of me to heal, give myself that permission to heal. Because if I don't give myself that permission, those wounds will always impact my life, will, which will prevent me from opening up with this intimacy of joy that will open up the channels of communication. And that allows me to release not only my perception of my beloved, but my perception of myself, because I'm not the same person I was when I was 28, 30, or 40, 46. I am who I am today because yeah. life has happened. And who am I today? Because I don't like the same things I like when I was younger, even though I still like some of the same bands, but they mean something different to me now. Mm -hmm. So the willingness to see life is the willingness to be present. Wow. There's so much to unpack there. This is exactly how I felt when I was reading the book. So just so everyone knows, please check out this book because again, there's so much to unpack there. One, you really brought up a lot of the domestications in our life that allow us to stop experiencing some of these habits, some of these principles, right? And how 
you know, some of the ideals we had as a young person, happily ever after, or, you know, the, even the jokes you make as a young person, oh, you can never change, or she changed, or those kind of things that um, stop us from actually living life and seeing who we are right now, as well as who our partner is right now. And so I first want to go to the healing, because I think healing is just such a beautiful middle ground between those first few principles you mentioned and some of the ones at the, the later end of the book. So with healing, how, letting go seems to be very difficult. Yes, release is a big part of that, but forgiving ourselves and being willing to let go of a mistake we made and to move on and give ourselves permission to break up with our victim, like you mentioned, break up with the, the blaming, which you mentioned, which is so easy, so easy for us to continue. What are some, some true tangible tools in letting go and really letting go, especially when we're living within our mistake or we saw, oh God, we see how much that affected either someone else or ourselves, and we feel so badly about it. And we feel like, okay, holding on to it makes me feel better when the truth is that makes us feel worse. What are some tools in genuinely letting go? Well, you can say there was a teacher in Sacramento that shared with me what forgiveness is. You can say that that's the very first tool. What is forgiveness? Mm. And forgiveness, the way this gentleman described it, I love it. I forgot the name of the gentleman, but here it goes. He said this, forgiveness is the moment you no longer wish the past was any different. Mm. It is the moment you accept it and you let it go. Mm -hmm. For me, that means it is the moment where I realize I can't go back in the past to change the yes to a no or no to a yes because life no longer exists in the past. The past only exists in my memory you could say in my mind, in the form of my memory. And it probably didn't happen the way I think it happened. Kind of in the same way the future doesn't exist yet. It only exists in my mind as my imagination. Mm. Both the past and the future don't exist. The only thing that exists is this present moment. Mm -hmm. With or without humans, this present will exist. Which means the past. The past doesn't exist anymore. It was, it's no longer the truth. It only exists in my memory. And I can't go back there and change it. You can say it's the, what, if, I, if I dissect that phrase, forgiveness is the moment you no longer wish the past was any different. It's the moment you realize I can't change it. It happened. Mm -hmm. It happened. You accept it and let it go. There's a metaphor that my brother Jose says, Don Jose Ruiz. Imagine a scorpion that decides to no longer sting itself with its own tail, administering the poison that it meant for someone else. Oof. Imagine that scorpion that every time it thinks of the past, it castigates itself by stinging itself over and over and over and over again. Every time it thinks about it over and over and over. Someone would say, scorpions don't sting itself. Yeah, of course, but we humans do. Every time we think of the past, we sting ourselves. Kind of like the definition I said before about what guilt is. Guilt is punishing yourself for something you wanted to do. But if life were to give you a chance to do it again, you could still do it because that's what you wanted to do. Mm. You sting yourself over and over again. So you can say accepting and letting go is the moment I no longer use the past to hurt me in the present. It is the moment I no longer administer the emotional poison that I meant for someone else to myself over and over again. And no longer drinking that emotional poison is letting go. I will no longer 
hurt myself with the past. So a lot of what happens with the stories we tell ourselves does, you know, is affected by what we tell ourselves about the past. As you said, it might not even happen the way you thought it is, whatever the case is, those, those past experiences absolutely, you know, are a part of how we create the stories in the future. So something that I was a bit triggered by when I came to this chapter and recognized, okay, I have some more healing to do here is trying to figure out when to use the past to help me make better decisions in the future and when to leave the past in the past, right? And so let's say we had an experience in the past and we say, okay, somebody showed me that maybe I cannot fully lean on them here. That means maybe I should lean on myself. This is also a, a practice in managing expectations that I genuinely work out all the time, work on all the time. So I, I see this past experience. I've had this experience with somebody, a loved one or a friend or whatever. They've shown me something. I say, okay, if I want to protect myself in the future and possibly protecting them by not expecting the same thing from them. So I take that past experience and I make a different decision in the future. Was that hindering? Or was that me using the past in a negative way? And that's just one example, but I'm genuinely so curious about how, when do we use the past to make better decisions and when do we just leave it alone? We can use the past to make better decisions when the past no longer hurts us. You know, we, we talked about before uh, about we heal with our own permission. If we don't give ourselves the permission, we will never heal. So sometimes the past will always be that wound. And sometimes we don't give ourselves that permission to heal because some of us will say, I can't condone it. If I forgive this person, if I forgive that moment, then I'm condoning that place or I'm allowing it to happen or I'm okay with it or, and I can't have, and, and that's basically the moment where because of some belief and idea, we mm. can't heal. We don't give ourselves that permission to heal. And which means every time we think about it, it'll hurt. And instead of actually helping us in the present, it just deepens that wound even deeper and thinking that it's happening in this present moment where at that moment we're just projecting mm -hmm. so if we are able to let go like for example my brother jose has this other expression that i love in the totic tradition there's nothing to learn but to unlearn for me that's a key phrase because to unlearn what should we unlearn for me anything that prevents me from healing you know what is to be in my case a man what is to be a Mexican-American, what is to be this image of the Mexican charro and all kind of thing. Mm. And all those things in the past used to in, get in the way of me healing. You know, I'm supposed to be this tough guy. I'm supposed to be this, I'm supposed to be that. And all that stuff just really were just roadblocks that stopped me from healing. But that's how trauma continues, how, how PTSD continues. Mm. You know, the moment where you use denial. But I accepted, you know what? I'm a human and I accept the truth. I hurt. This hurt me. And I stopped pretending to be something I am not. And I accept this is me. And I begin to heal. I begin the journey to that moment of forgiveness, which is mm -hmm. let go of the past and accept that it happened. Mm -hmm. And when I finally forgive, every time I think of that past moment, it no longer hurts me. And you can say that is the moment where I'm able to revisit that memory, not to punish myself or administer the same dose, same time as them, like an addict who is addicted to the suffering. Sometimes mm. we're addicted to suffering. Mm -hmm. I basically go there to remember and I can learn from it because that's the thing. Just because you forgive doesn't mean that we, that we will stop learning. 
you know, it's just like the scorpion, like, oh, I'm not going to hurt myself. There's a reason why scorpions don't sting themselves, you know? So you can say, you know, when I first started working on this book with Heather Ashamara, my, my co-author, my, my dear friend, mm -hmm. I just finished a journey of healing my relationship with my first love. And that came with the ability of the willingness to see her for who she is as a, as a human and instead of seeing myself in that projection that I had and owning my choices, owning my actions. So when that happened, whenever we talk about the past, the old wounds weren't triggered. And you can say... Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When that happens, that's when you know you're healed. Yeah. It's no longer the excuse to hurt myself. And here's the thing, just because we heal that relationship, it doesn't mean that I'm going to repeat the same actions. No, I'm going to learn from my mistakes. And the benefactor of that is my wife, the relationship I'm in right now, because that old wound is no longer impacting my present. That old wound is no longer infecting my present. Yeah. So you can say that from that point of view, giving ourselves that permission to heal allows us to be wise. Because that's what wisdom is, knowing how to use our past experience to teach us in the present, mm -hmm. which is different from using our past experience to hurt myself and others in the present. And that's the huge difference. That's the difference of doing that work within myself. Because when that happens, I can recognize a pattern, but it doesn't mean that pattern is actually going to get repeated, which means you get to hold back that yes and hold back that no and allow life to show you the truth. Yeah, we, we talk about healing so much in this day and age, which is a really great thing, right? We didn't talk about it in the same way, and I'm really excited about that, but and, and no healing looks the same. But are there specific markers within a healing journey for somebody to say, wow, not to say step by step, but are there some markers in the journey that everybody will go through? And that kind of lets you know, oh, I have passed this stage of hurt and I am now in the healing stage and I have now moved past healing and I'm now in present. Mm -hmm. Well, as you said, everyone is different, but the one constant that seems to appear is heartbreak. Mm. heartbreak as i know it it is the moment where the illusion is over and accept the truth you know if i use the image of don quixote it is the moment don quixote accepts that those are windmills and not giants and mm. i no longer believe the the story that make me continue to believe the illusion that it was a, ma a magician who turned all those giants into windmills just to make me look bad that story is not true yeah it was always a windmill which because here's the thing if Don Quixote sees only giants, then he's worthy of the name Don Quixote. But if he accepts that those are windmills, mm -hmm. which is the truth, then he accepts himself as Alonso Quijano, his real name, or Quijones, depending on which edition you read. Mm -hmm. That Dulcinea, her real name is Alonso, that the king, king was only a, a guy at the tavern. He starts seeing the truth. Heartbreak is the moment that we realized that the illusion we believed in wasn't the truth. In my case, heartbreak was the moment where I realized I wasn't what I pretended to be. 
You can say, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. doesn't exist. I exist. The living being that is me, that's talking right now, by any other name. A rose by any other name is just a sweet. Mm. And that's the markers, the, real, the moment we realize and have awareness, kind of like a drug addict or alcoholic that has a moment of sobriety and has a choice. Do I continue with the hair of the dog, which means take another shot of tequila and the hangover will go away and you basically punt the problem away? Mm. Or you detox by accepting the truth. Yeah. And you accept yourself. And that's really it. That's, mm. that's where the heartbreak is. It's a moment of freedom where I'm willing to accept this is me and all my excuses, all my stories that I told to weave this denial falls up, begins to fall apart. And from there, it becomes an individual journey because you're starting to recreate everything. First, you have to detox. Just like an addict or alcoholic, someone who has been attached to their beliefs, to their illusions, to their image of what's supposed to be, that model by which we domesticate ourselves, the function of ego is easier to understand what ego is by seeing its function. The function of ego is to protect the illusion. And the illusion is the model by which we domesticate ourselves. Or you can say the model by which we love ourselves conditionally. I love myself if I live up to this image. And if you ever stand in front of a mirror and judge yourself for the way you look, understand that you're judging yourself in comparison to a perfect image, an illusory image that doesn't exist. Mm. And you're comparing yourself to that image. It's an illusion. Ego is there to protect that. So the moment of heartbreak is when you realize that your ego only wanted to see the illusion. And the best way to let go of the illusion is to accept the truth. This is me. Yeah. And that's what starts the journey. Yeah. towards that healing. So what is the space created or is there a fine line between unconditional love of ourself and acceptance of ourself and wanting to be better? What, is there a way to balance both? Do they not both exist? Especially, well, with ourselves, one. And then I'd love to ask about that in a partnership too. Oh, perfect. So when we use the word better, you can already see ego already trying to scramble that uh -huh, uh -huh, as soon uh -huh. as i reach this image i'm worthy yeah. of love. as soon as i am better and there it is like we fell back in the trap yeah yeah and and, and that's is there a healthier word what's the healthier well word? that's the thing it's like for example perfection the word perfection is not a, is not a bad word we just corrupted it kind of like we just corrupted uh better perfection is something that is completely free of any flaw that's what that is. Mm. And we use that image of perfection as something that we as aspire to, that we get better at. But here's the thing. We define what a fly is within our agreement, which means the only place where a fly exists is in our mind because we said yes to its meaning. There's no such thing as a fly out there in the world. It only exists in our mind, which means everything is perfect because it exists. Just with that, you uncorrupt the word perfection. It, the perfection is it exists it is here it is present mm -hmm. you can say we redeem the word perfection in our life the redemption of the word perfection which is you can say the redemption of uh, the word better now example like how can i put that 
into something more tangible. Now, here we go. Hello, my name is Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. I don't take things personal. I don't make assumptions. I always do my best. <gasps> I forgot the fourth agreement. Oh no, how can I call myself Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. if I don't know the four agreements? And there is the diatribe of judgment, punishing myself for not living up to that image of perfection or better, someone who lives the four agreements. Don't take things personal. Don't make assumptions. Always do your best and be impeccable with the word. Thank you very much. If I live up to this, I'm worthy of love. I am a better mm. person. But then I forget the fifth agreement, be skeptical, but learn to listen. No, no, how can I call myself? And there's a time again. If you ever judge yourself for taking things personal or mm. not being impeccable with the word or all that kind of, all the rest of it, then at that moment, we've corrupted the four agreements and turned it into the four conditions. We've, we've used the four agreements as an instrument of domestication or or you can say conditioning. Hmm. And it's that easy. It's that easy to corrupt. I'm supposed to be perfect, so I'm supposed to be impeccable all the time with my word. I'm not supposed to take it personal. If I did, how can I be so foolish? What kind of Toltec am I? What kind of, in my case, what kind of Don Miguel Rich Jr. am I? And if you understand how we're able to corrupt the four agreements and yes. turn it into the four conditions, we can see how we can corrupt Deepak Chopra, Marian Williamson, Jesus, Buddha, Siddhartha, Muhammad, psychology, psychology, Alcoholics Anonymous, even the word better and perfection. Woo, so good. The sign that we're corrupting it is using it to say, I'm going to be worthy of love as soon as I, or if I'll, I'll be worthy of love if I'm perfect, if I'm better. So you first start catching yourself in the habit of what we do to corrupt it. as soon as I, because all those things basically do the same thing as Don Quixote does. I'm not accepting myself for who I am right now. I'm not willing to see myself for who I am right now. I prefer the illusion. And that's what domestication is. And, you know, it has this place because we're so used to it. But in reality, ego is right there. Hmm. corrupting so it starts with hello in my case hello my name is don miguel ruiz jr or in this case miguel and i do take things personal i do make assumptions sometimes i'm not impeccable with the word sometimes i'm not skeptical at all and sometimes i don't i'm i'm don't do my best just ask my wife she's my witness hmm. it is the moment where i stop pretending to be something and i i am not and accept myself for who i am and you can say that's the moment where I begin to. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. No longer corrupt the four agreements hmm. into the four conditions. So you can say to better myself, it starts with accepting this is where I'm at. This is point A. This is me. The sum of every decision that has led me here. Now, in which direction do I want to go? In that direction that continues to make me forsake myself? Or do I want to change direction and just want to feel good? And what I mean by feeling good, that I no longer am afraid of that my wounds will get touched or that I'll get hurt or fill in the blank. Everyone's different in that sense. Mm. 
so that's the point you know it's like abraham lincoln says my religion is if i do good i feel good if i do bad i feel bad how do i want to feel in, in essence mm -hmm. so from that point of view the better self is just simply a word that makes me choose in which direction i want to go in life but it's that's not the goal it's just the excuse to go in that direction in that case i want to feel good i want to feel better and that's the motivator in this case for example i stopped drinking alcohol six years ago because i want to live and that's my motivator mm. i didn't want to have that image of a sober person or whatever it's just oh, i want to live and every day is a choice Re discipline is remembering to apply that effort every day what consequence do i want to experience Thank you for breaking that down. I think that is such a, I receive so much healing even hearing that because I, I do struggle with that fine line of, okay, I'm accepting myself. I am self-aware. I I can see where I am and, and I'm good just where I am. And at the same time, you see things you want to improve on and that domestication voice will come in and say, well, that's why you're not you know, doing this right. And that's why you don't have this yet because you haven't perfected these skills. Let's use for perfection for the lack of a better word, but th that can be such, you know, that silent voice that's been, you've been in relationship with for so long. And every time I recognize it, I feel even more healed, right? I'm like, oh, look at you. I see you here to mess things up. But then at the same time, I'm not sure if I should also take the advice that that, that you know, silence will give. And also how does that affect us in relationships? So thank you so much for that breakdown. It, it also makes me think, okay, you've talked so much about un unconditional love within that space and within the book very deeply. When we're in a relationship, we commit to unconditionally love somebody, mm -hmm. right? But then we also commit to ourselves. And I wonder where compromise comes into play there, right? Oh, yeah. Because there's this self-commitment there's committing to unconditionally love you. Specifically, I will talk about the example where the two friends, um, excuse me, the couple in the beginning of the book, they uh, they were going to dinner for, you know, to visit his family. And the wife called and said, hey, I know we have dinner plans tonight, but I really want to go to this concert. Do you mind? The husband responded, I don't mind, even though secretly he did really mind. And immediately I, I got so nervous because I'm thinking like, I, I have been, you know, I've been both of those people. I've been the person that said like, oh, I don't mind. And I really do mind, but I want you to be happy. But I also really wanted you to be with me. And like, and at the same time, I've done the person where I've asked you for something I want, not sure if I'm going to hurt you or not really want to really want what I would like to, you know, what I'm asking for. And at the same time, still feel guilt because I know that that could hurt you. So just that was such an beautiful, you know, example. And one that I really was, excited for you to break down more so how do we how do we bring in compromise unconditional love and commit self-commitment all in the same space sure well i can't give what i do not have um in a relationship you can basically i'm going to be uh using these kind of words co-create together yes now i only control to the tips of my fingers I control my will, I control my perception, I control how my life is from this point of view. I don't control yours, I don't control my wife's, I don't control your perception, your will, just like I don't perceive and control my wife's perception or will, she controls it. My wife has every right to change that yes into a no. You see, every relationship exists for as long as you both say yes. 
If mm -hmm. one changes that yes into a no, the relationship ceases to exist. So in a relationship where there's mutual respect, I control to the tips of my fingers, she controls to the tips of my fingers, she meaning my wife. And this relationship only exists for as long as you both say yes. When they say, if you love someone, set them free, it simply means respecting their freedom. My wife has every right to say no to me. Her no is just as powerful as her yes. Mm -hmm. That's respect. And I can only give that respect by respecting my own no. My no is just as powerful as my yes. Mm -hmm. It's like learning how to say namaste. In order for me to say the sun in me honors the sun in you, I first learned how to honor my own son. In this case, I learned how to honor and respect my no. My no is just as powerful as my yes, which is also my will. Respect my yes and my no. And from that point of view, if you realize that relationships only exist for as long as we both say yes, that at any given moment we can change our minds and that changes yes to a no, it, it's, it ends. That also means that the only thing that will exist in our relationships are the things we both say yes to, otherwise known as agreements. An agreement is just a word that reflects the action of saying yes to something. When we have mutual respect with one another, if you say no to something or I say no to something, it will not be a part of our relationship, which makes me very grateful when we say yes. For example, this interview is existing and it's being created because we both said yes at this time and, and frame. So we're engaging in creating something together. My wife and I said yes, and we created a life together with kids and everything and two dogs that were sitting behind me. <laughs> the things that don't exist here are the things we want mutually said no, or she said no, or I said no. It's something known as co-creation. And somewhere along the line, we are gonna have those imp impasse where she wants to say no to something, I wanna say yes to it, and or I wanna say no to something, she says yes. And that is where we find a compromise that we can say, we start talking about what allows us to create something together and that mutual respect. Now it takes some time to get to that point where we respect each other, but that's where communication comes in. What we were talking about before the ability to communicate without fear comes with the ability that we respect each other. And if mm -hmm. no means no, no means no. And that will always be true. Mm -hmm. That's what respect is. Mm -hmm. Eventually, She's going to say no to something I want her to say yes to, and I'm attached to that yes, and I really want it. Before, because I respected her, here are my examples, here are my reviews, here are my Yelp reviews, here's my song, here's my poem, everything that I can do to make you see the way I see yeah. things. And if you like it, you might change that no into a yes. But if it still means no, you've reached a moment where you either will detach from it, saying, okay, it's a no. But if you really want that, yes, that's when you start being tempted to cross that line of respect and try to impose your will. Mm -hmm. The best way to do that is to control someone else's will. And that's you can say, look, you made this mistake, you made that mistake, let me think for you. Because the best way for me to get that yes is for me to control your will. And the best way for me to get you to give me permission to control your will is to make you doubt yourself. And this is where gaslighting really comes in. Ooh. You made that mistake, you made the mistake. Let me think for you. If you believe what I said, at that moment, you subjugated your will as I imposed mine. It's called imposing and subjugation. Every parasite will find his or her perfect host. So what we normally see out there in the world is this. 
a battle, a battle of who's gonna domesticate who because whoever controls the yes of a relationship controls the relationship. So you can say it's a battle. Most of the battles we have as couples, who's gonna make the other one fit the image of what love is supposed to be, to domesticate the other person to fit into our culture, our beliefs, our ideals, what it is that I, my family, my community, my whatever is supposed to be a man or woman or whatever, everything in between. From that point of view, that's what we see. So you can say that the idea of harming it exists. Sometimes we have to imagine it because we've only known this, a battle of who is going to domesticate who. And you can say, there's the rub. There's the thing that makes me get tempted to no longer respect the people in my life. As I say, I know better because I want it to be better. Wouldn't it be easier if everyone practiced the four agreements? Honey, you're Mrs. Don Miguel Reese Jr. Here's the four agreements. Read it. Honey, how embarrassing. You're taking things personal. Didn't read the book. Oh, honey, you're making an assumption. I only hang out with people who are impeccable with their own word. <laughs> when something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. At that moment, I'm judging her for agreements she never made but I'm forcing her to make the agreement through the judgment. And you can say, without, just with that, you can see what couples do. I want that yes, and the only way I can get that yes is if I condition you to fit what I think should be. If you want to be worthy of my love, you do this and this and that. Otherwise, I'm not gonna respect. And there we go, there's, there's the cycle already spinning. So if you're able to recognize that in our relationships and bringing that healing, you can already see what it's like already with relationships where this is happening or this is happening or this is happening. Who is uh, is a battle for control, a battle for Mm -hmm. who is going to domesticate who. And there's a problem. All right, you have a moment of awareness. You become aware that that's been happening and you ask yourself the question, do I want to continue this? If the answer is yes, keep doing what you're doing. But if the answer is no, then that's when we begin to shift. First, you start by breaking those conditions that made you domesticate yourself in the first place. For example, when I was younger, when I realized most of the fights I was having with my ex-girlfriends when I was younger is the battles my father, my mother, and my family were having, and my community, and the image of what it is to be a Mexican-American on this relationship which has nothing to do with us. Some of those, I realized some of the fights I was having with my ex-girlfriends had nothing to do between she and I. It was just all these little voices Mm. saying, oh, you should be doing this, you shouldn't allow that. My grandma's always taught me, are you using knowledge or is knowledge using you? In this case example, when you hear those little voices, knowledge is using me in the voices of my family, the people I know, basically everything I'm conditioned, knowledge corrupted, kind of like the four agreements into the four conditions. I'm practicing the four conditions. If I have a moment of awareness, I can begin to break that within me. Once I'm able to break that within me, 
then I can start breaking it with my beloved. So you can say me and my wife developed the art of arguing within ourselves. Mm. It starts with my grandpa always saying to me, if you're about to put your foot in your mouth, button your lip. If you already put your foot in your mouth, button your lip even harder. <laughs> That's what he was, would say when I was young before he passed away. Mm. So I'm doing this work, you know, with us, me and my wife have been together for 18 years, which means when we first started getting together, I was really putting into practice everything I've learned. And when we were younger in our relationship, yeah, we would have some explosive fights and arguments and whatever. And then one day, I'm like, I remember my grandpa's words. I'm about to say something stupid. And mind you, something stupid is something's going to hurt her. That's what something, saying something stupid is. I'm going to say a word that is emotional poison and it's like a dart. I know where to hit it. Hmm. I'm about to say something stupid and my grandfather's words come in, button your lip. The problem is I didn't have enough discipline to do it, so I would walk away. Back then, my wife used to follow me. Don't walk away from me and poof, you know. Eventually, we have a moment where we're able to talk and I says, honey, I'm walking away because I'm about to say something stupid and I don't want to hurt you. And she says to me, well, to me, when you walk away, it feels like you're not listening to me, that you're no longer validating what I'm saying. You're that you are, uh, what's the word, making me feel less than and not heard. Mm. And I said to her, that's not what I'm doing. What I'm doing is that I'm a, I caught myself. I'm about to say something. I found a trigger. I, I discovered a trigger. I'm, a, I'm about to hit the trigger and I don't want to hit the trigger. So I walk away to defuse myself. She says, okay, I understand what you're saying. So let's make this promise. Next time you do it, I won't follow you. But when you defuse yourself, come back and re-engage. Okay. Mm. So we did that. And I would defuse. And when I come back, an, an interesting thing happened. I was listening to her again. Because I'm, as my emotions were coming up, the very first thing that comes when you're debating someone arguing with someone is you put your fingers in your ears metaphorically which simply means i'm no longer listening because if i listen the chance of losing the argument comes up <laughs> so true so, so when true. i diffuse myself the miracle happens and i'm listening mm -hmm. and oddly enough it happened for her too she diffused as well and also we're talking and all of a sudden we realize we can talk about raising our children because nothing brings a culture clash like raising children or the finances or what it is. And all of a sudden we realize if we have a disagreement with the kids, it has nothing to do with us. It's not, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I disrespect you or not. We just have a disagreement with that. We have a disagreement with our finances, but it doesn't mean that I disrespect you or think of you less. All of a sudden we realize apples to apples, oranges to oranges. We have disagreements within our relationship that have nothing to do with our relationship. Mm. And all of a sudden, little by little, it's like we're able to compartmentalize. Here's my English as second language kicking in. <laughs> compartmentalize or put into place yeah, yeah. different arguments. If it's about the kids, it's about the kids. It has nothing to do with us. If it's about finances, it has to be, it's not, not about us. It's, we're able to separate it. And all of a sudden, little by little, we're able to listen and compromise comes in. That ability to find it's not my way or the highway. 
it's not my yes or my no. I like, I find that thing that allows to both be in peace with it. You know, it may not be everything I want it for, but I got the essence of what I need. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the line, it fit. You know, right now, for example, it's like uh, my wife and I are going through a, a rough one because my son has autism. And we discovered in this year that where we live in Reno, the altitude is affecting him. Mm-hmm. His allergies, and now we've discovered he has wisdom teeth that are impacted and make it worse. Mm-hmm. We were giving him eight Advils a day. And he was living with chronic pain. We went to San Diego and like miracle, it, it disappeared. So at that point I realized I can't keep my son in Reno, but my daughter is doing phenomenal. She's thriving, she's doing great. You know, she's got a great community, great friends, great, good grades and grades that me and my wife don't have. Like she's so motivated. It's, it's phenomenal to see her growth mm-hmm. with her friends and the people she loves and to take her out of high school at this moment would be tragic. So. We have this, my son can't stay in Reno. And if we take our daughter out and take her to San Diego, it would be hurting her. But if we keep my son in Reno and her staying in school, then we're hurting our son. So the idea Mm -hmm. of keeping the family together, okay, which one one of my kids am I gonna sacrifice for that? So my wife and I were in this impasse because the idea of uh, of breaking the family up, not, romantically or but just physically by Mm -hmm. one of us living in a different city as the other was something that we didn't want until we both were able to see it Mm -hmm. and we made the decision that we will move my son down to San Diego we'll keep my daughter here in Reno and my wife and I will be going back and forth so for Mm -hmm. the next three years until my daughter graduates my wife and I are going to be like boats that pass each other you know it's like I go to San Diego because I can't leave. We can't leave our son alone because of his autism. Mm-hmm. My daughter is is a bit more. Uh, she can't be alone because she has the self sufficiency and she's really independent. She's just phenomenal. So we all right. We find a compromise. Of course, my mom's going to help us with my daughter, and my brother is also going to help and all that kind of. We have a community here helping. Yes, yes. To a certain point, of course. So my wife and I came to this compromise. All right, we won't be living together, but we've reached that stage in our relationship where we as parents have to do what's best for our kids. We can't be selfish and she and I, because the sacrifice comes not in our kids, but with one another, we're not gonna be physically there. And I tell her, honey, we're probably doing the most intimate thing any couple can do. Put ourselves aside so that we can give our children the opportunity to thrive in an environment that will give them that opportunity. How long we can we manage it? We'll find out. We, we already told our daughter that, okay, in any given moment, this agreement might change. You know, we, you might come to Chula Vista and, and our daughter goes, I'm willing to take that chance. I'm like, okay. Oh, wow. We joke about it. And she goes like, no, 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 I don't want to go. Honey, if we were serious about it, we have already would have done it. You know, we're giving this a chance because we're doing this so that we're at. So this wasn't an easy decision. This was one of those decisions that we have to really 
find the ground and it's an emotional one it's an emotional one you know because there's moments where you know one of us didn't want to do it you know the idea of separating but we got to the point where i can't deny it it's the truth you know it's like don quixote accepting those are windmills and he's not alone so all of a sudden we accept the truth and we're going to make a decision based on that and we reached a compromise we are going to give our kids the best shot for them to enjoy their teenage years and set themselves up for their futures. It's not in the other one's city, you know, Reno for my daughter, San Diego for my son, because both environments aren't giving them that chance. And my wife and I are going to be as flexible as we can to do it. And that's what we're doing. It, it wasn't easy, but that compromise came because of 18 years of learning how to have an argument, which means we've learned how not to disrespect each other in an argument that would make matters worse and not listening to one another. It, we took the time to learn how to respect each other in an argument where we're able to continue to listen. Which because when you listen to someone, you're continuously able to witness the human being that's in front of you who's doing the best with what they've got. Because I'm a human that's doing the best with what I've got because I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm doing the best what I've got. I'm playing it by ear. Mm. 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 Thank you for sharing that. That was such a beautiful illustration of compromise and really of decision-making and, and so many elements of the book, right? I was going to bring up compassionate disagreements, which you talked about, which you already just, you know, included in that example and that real life example that you and your family are dealing with. So again, thank you for sharing that. And I'm sending you guys so much love in that oh, new decision you, you made to, to genuinely keep your family together really is the, is the future goal. And I just love that. So wow, wow. So parenting is never an easy job. And every time I get close to like, you know, getting to hear people's examples of it, it makes me just have deeper love for my parents as well as get excited for the future because it really is such a privilege to do that job. So, wow. All right. And the thing about being a parent is that, you know, especially if you're doing the process, they're the perfect mirrors. Mm. They're the ones like my, my children, my daughter, my son, they both have taught me so much. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've learned because I see myself in them and then also learning they're not living my life, they're living theirs. So I've learned how to take a step back and let them experience the consequences of their own choices. And it's been phenomenal to see who they've become. Yeah, yeah. And who they're becoming, because they're still 16, uh, 17 and 14. Yeah, 17 and 14, yeah, pivotal ages. <laughs> pivotal oh, yeah. ages. We're, we're in the thick of it. Yeah, <laughs> woo! Wow, oh, so it, changed, <laughs> it changed everything. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. I've had some amazing conversations with my parents because they'll like experience me. I'm 31 now. And they'll say, you know, I've never had a 31, 31 year old daughter. So I'm experiencing you for the first time. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. yeah, this is, this is interesting. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I mean by we're playing it by ear because as yes. soon as you're used to being the parent of a one-year-old, they turn two because everything that you knew about raising a one-year-old goes out the window because yes. that person is now two, now four, now 10. Every year we're playing it by ear. Yes. Now, if we understand this concept here is about kids is that you're seeing them change physically and mentally in front of you. Mm. 
-hmm. Now we go back to an earlier question about releasing. Mm -hmm. My wife is also changing. You know, it's the, it's, this is where Einstein's theory of relativity comes in. She and I are growing at the same speed, which means sometimes we don't see the changes. Yeah. But if you take a step back, you realize just like my, I'm, I don't know, I, I'm learning how to be the father of a 14-year-old that's going on to be 15, who doesn't want a quinceanera, <laughs> <laughs> and a son with autism that's uh, one year away from being 18, and what that means in the world, mm. you know? How to learn, you know, like your example, your, your mom saying, I've never raised a 31-year-old. This mm -hmm. is new. Mm -hmm. I've never been in a relationship with the version that exists right now that's my wife. Mm -hmm. it's new mm -hmm. letting go of who she was allows me to see the person that's in front of me yeah if we can apply that with relationships just like in parenting that we're playing it by ear and adapting then it's a dance yeah a dance where the rhythm keeps changing and if you're still trying to dance the way the previous song was or even two songs ago is you've already missed the beat mm. So what kind of conversations do you and your wife have when you do take a step back and recognize those changes? Or maybe you haven't taken that step back and you notice a change that maybe makes you uncomfortable or triggers you or shows you some of your domestication. I'd love to also you know, circle back to that as well. But what kind of conversations do you guys have about updating each other on who you are now? Well, we, we talk a lot, you know. Um... Most of our conversations is about the kids, of course. You know, that's the, you know, right, what's making choices. This, this year has been uh, dominated by my son's health, you know, because he has cluster headaches. He suffers cluster headaches. Hmm. And um, just to give you an example of what that is, like the doctor describes it, like imagine getting stabbed with an ice pick in the eye at the same time as you're having a brain freeze. So that's what my son's been experiencing uh, hmm. chronically for the last almost two years, mm. but now we know, and that's why we changed it. Yeah. So a lot of our conversations with my wife and I have having is uh, that, and what to do with our, with our daughters, the parenting things. Mm -hmm. And then in our moments of privacy of loneliness, it's like, you know, we are in the precipice, you know, cause we just started this. We're on month, month two, we're about, we're about to do the second switch that we've done. Mm. It's all brand new. And so there's the part of us that you know, we're, I miss you. I love you. All this kind of thing. How was your day? The, the, the little things, you know, the little things that you realize that that little bound of effort goes a long way. Just checking in, how you feeling? How you doing? If, if is everything okay? How, how you feeling? And, you know, it was years ago that I've learned that when my wife shares something with me, she's not asking me to fix anything. She's just hold, asking me to hold space. Which means, all right, when I was younger, I was like, she would say something, all right, you want me to fix it? I'll fix it. <laughs> she doesn't want me to fix anything. She can handle it herself. That's where respect comes in. I know she can handle it herself. Yeah. So I'm just holding space. Mm -hmm. So in this situation, it's a mixture of holding space for one another. There's nothing to fix. But at the same time, there is a call to action. Mm -hmm. So we check in emotionally. And, you know, the in this past time because she's been in san diego all of a sudden because he's been feeling better you know we we went from giving him that much pain medicine to giving him two or three advils every other day which is a huge 
relief and other things that pop up now like the pain was masking so many things and we're checking in with that and at the same time she's rediscovering herself now she she is all of a sudden being social again something the last two years we haven't so it's been interesting to see her rediscover herself because all of a sudden we're not in crisis mode anymore we're all right, what we're doing is working. Yeah. Okay, where am I now? Where mm -hmm. am I now? And it's been nice to witness that exploration with her. Same thing with me. It's like, all right, what is, how am I handling my time? How, what am I doing? You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that journey. You know, it's like, I, I spent a month with my son who needs me, you know, 24 seven, like engage. And then I have my daughter who is independent. It's like changing mm -hmm. gears. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I have more time for myself. And I'm basically her IT guy. <laughs> you know, basically that's how it is. But it is something that within me, I'm changing, you know, because now my mom needs me because she's my next door neighbor and she's 70 and she's trying to figure out what life is in her 70s. And my father's going through his, his thing, you know, waiting for the heart transplant and all that kind of thing. And watching my brothers and all that kind of thing. It's just, all right, where am I? You know, it's like, you know, they, they call me the bear in the family. I'm, I'm the one who likes to take care of everyone. Just the father. I'm just, you know, if we're walking down the street, I'm the first one to say car. <laughs> it's like, um, so I'm getting to know myself again because yeah. the guy who lived the last two years is no longer here. Yet at the same time, every other month, I'm going to be neat. I'm going to have to have different skills. You know, my son is changing. Who is he? My daughter is changing. Who is she? My wife is changing. Who is she? I'm changing. So we're in this moment where the whole family is learning and adjusting to a new reality. Hmm. So it's, you know, you can say some people experience this when their college kid, their kids go off to college. We're experiencing it a little early, yeah. but not fully like that. You know, it's like, it's like a weird you know, a weird uh, soft opening <laughs> to, to that world. Yeah. So it's, wow. it's, it's for us, it's definitely unique. So that's what it looks like. Our, uh, the conversations my wife and I have, sure. you know, it all depends on what kind of day she's had. You know, with, if, if my son has had a rough day, it's about him. If he's had a good day, it's, uh, it's a whole different thing about how we did this. She's hanging out with friends again, you know, going off to coffee and, and, and restaurants, going for walks, taking time for herself. What does that look like? Mm. It, it's, it's been nice. It's, it's been nice getting to know who she is now. So cool. It's, so it's cool. constant exploration. It's kind of like yeah. the difference between going on a walk on a treadmill versus going to a walk in an actual space. Mm. If you're going on a walk on a treadmill, you're all in your head, like trying to find that thing that motivates you. Mm -hmm. But if you go for a walk out there, you know, it's funny how time moves faster when you're walking out there versus time goes so slowly when you're walking on a treadmill mm. or running, you know, it's just, it's, it's funny how that works. Yeah. You know, because you're engaging everything that's new that's in front of you. So good. We have a segment on the show called Honest Gems and I'm so excited to invite you into that segment. One of the first questions is, what don't they tell us about unconditional love? 
what they don't tell us about unconditional love is that it's all about the willingness to see life as is, to see yourself as you are, to see the people in your life as they are. It's, it's, it's about the willingness to be present. It's, it's not about, you can say, unconditional that I let everything happen, you know, that they can do anything they want, mm. you know, because we still have those uh, boundaries that we create in relationships. Those boundaries mm. are very important because it's, it's there to take care of us, not from the point of fear, but of self-respect. That's what a boundary is. As, a, as opposed to a condition. A condition is there to protect fear, whereas a boundary is protecting self. It's, it's respect. Mm -hmm. And that's what unconditional love is. It's simply the willingness to see life as is without the fear that clouds my vision. Mm -hmm. What don't they tell us about the one life that all humans share? That is constantly changing. So you better be flexible. Mm -hmm. You talk in the book, I want to expand on that a little bit, because you talk in the book about how we're all sharing one life, how we're all living one life. And we, and we think that we are all completely individual beings, have a complete individual experiences. And one thing we love on the show is really bridging the gap of that truth, knowing that we're all in parallel and in the world together. Can you expand on that idea that you also mentioned in the book? Sure. How much time do we have? We have time. All right. You, I'm not going to give up the time. I have you here. Absolutely. We have time. Sounds, sounds good. <laughs> then it's uh, I like to tell stories. So this is how my, this is my imagination. Uh, but it's based on truth. My, my best friend, Ed, uh, him and I went to call, uh, high school together. He's the great grandson of um, Will Durant. He's a uh, philosopher, historian, uh, one of uh, Einstein's best friends. And he and Ed is my best friend. And what we've been doing since we were kids is that we like to play chess and chew the fat when we're, while we're playing chess. And sometimes we talk about nothing. Sometimes we talk about philosoph philosophical things. You know, he's, he did major in philosophy in Berkeley and he's, he's the great grandson of Will Durant. So it goes with the territory. So one day he says, Miguel, when did your life start? And I answered, well, when I was a child, I used to answer the moment I came out of my mother's womb. But as I became educated and I knew about science, it changed from that to the moment I was conceived, which apparently that's what he was waiting for because he pounced. He said, was there life in the ovum and was there life in the sperm? And the answer, my imagination just exploded because the answer was yes if the sperm was dead or the ovum was dead there would be no conception which means i life did not start at the moment of the conception of this organism i life was already in my mother's body and in my father's body hmm. because if either one of them were dead in this case either the body or my father's sperm or my mom's ovum i the conception would not happen which means I did not start at that moment of conception. And then of course, I life did not start at the moment of conception of my mom, mom or father. The life that gave them birth was already in my grandmother's and my grandfather's body, grandparents. But I life did not start with my great uh, grandparents or my great great grandparents or also my imagination just began to explore because I life did not start in any of those conceptions. 
It started here, 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 here. And you hit an apex where we all have a common ancestor, mm. where we're all relatives. And then it begins to narrow down, narrow, 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 narrow. That's the funny thing about that. It expands to his thing. And also when you hit that moment where we all have the common ancestor, it goes down, 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 down to, you could say Adam and Eve or whatever first humans were. But then as you discover through science in, in the uh, discoveries we've had about DNA that every single living organism that's in this planet share a common DNA just with a variation here and there. All of a sudden we realize that we're related to every single organism in this body and all in this planet. And all of a sudden it goes expands, expands, bam, 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 out to the moment we realize that every single living being is related. That there's a reason why we're able to breathe the breath of the plants and the floor, the, the breath of the flora gives life to the flora, fauna and the, and the breath of the fauna gives life to the flora. And then it expands, contracts, bam, 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 to either the hand of God or the Big Bang. And if you start reading about astrophysics, the singularities that happened was it just one big bang or was it multiple big bangs but what was before a big bang another universe and a universe that impacts and comes back impacts. anyways <laughs> i life did not start at the moment of conception of this living organism i life started a long time ago the irony is that i was born into a body that sees life from the limits of this nervous system. My eyes, my ears, and every single nerve ending that surrounds my body, which makes me think and see from a singular point of view, which means everything I just shared is just my imagination. It's just a story that answered that question. Mm -hmm. But in reality, life is everywhere. And if you ask the same question, was there life in the ovum? Was there life in the sperm? Was there life in the seed? Was there life in the ground? The answer is yes. I life. And I talk about I life, not from Miguel Ruiz Jr. point of view or this living organism, but as the force that animates it. You can call it spirit, you can call it soul, you can call it intent, you can call it life, you can call it God, whatever it is that your tradition has taught you it is. In our tradition, we call it Nawal. I the Nawal. I life. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate it. One of our last honest gems is what don't they tell us about freedom in relationships? That relationships in that personal freedom only exists while we say yes to one with one another with that personal freedom. We say yes to it because we want to, not because we have to. Hmm. Yeah, I really like that. You you mentioned earlier about the ideas you had about yourself as a Mexican American male. What are some of the things you've healed from with those ideologies? Or tell me about some of the things you thought about then that you don't. Those aren't the same stories you tell yourself about who you are now. Well, I no longer believe. Like I have a huge respect for Pedro Infante and Jorge Negrete, but I no longer use them as the model of my by which I compare myself to be. You know. Mm. It's, it's i've realized that the even the word man is just an empty definition it's an empty symbol with a definition sorry that's what i meant to say yeah it changes the definition changes from from community from barrio to city to nation to the image 
of what a man is is an empty symbol and i'm the one who gets to fill it so i can not call myself a man i can call myself a non-gender i can call myself a human being i can call myself a man i can call all those things i can even my name don miguel rich jr is just an empty symbol whose definition is subject to agreement mm. and i'm the one making the agreement mm -hmm. what's the last thing you forgave yourself for for the first time what was the last time what's the last thing i forgive myself for the last time for the first time for the first time mm. oh, that's a good question because as soon as i think of one i remember another one and another, another. <laughs> i guess the last thing i've forgiven myself for the last time in the choices i've made in regards to my children's health mm. is well it's, it's an analogy actually let me let me, it's more complicated. It's, it's not a simple one. Um, my daughter earlier this, uh, in this last school year, she had a, a presentation to give about choices and the difficulty that is when you have multiple choices and you get stuck, you know, the, you know, the, the image of a donkey that, that if you give it food at the same distance from one another, you have a food on the left, food on the right, it's the same distance and donkey can't decide it's it'll starve itself to death you know mm. i forgot the name that that has but i remember the, the the analogy you know sometimes we we got so many choices that we get stuck i remember i told my daughter well that reminds me of two things that two people i love very much heather ashamar co-wrote the book uh, seven secrets of happy healthy relationship has this analogy a heat-seeking missile only has to be correct once because a heat-seeking missile is always correcting itself correcting course correcting course correcting course correcting course correcting correct until it hits its target mm -hmm. because it's seeking at the heat signature of its target so basically a heat-seeking missile is always correcting until it hits that's the analogy she did so you make choices like that and then i paired it with something my father always says there's no such thing as or the bad or right decision, there's just a decision with a consequence. If it's the right decision, you know by it because you're enjoying it. It's, mm -hmm. It felt good. If it's a bad decision, it's because you're not enjoying it. So correct it. The key is don't let ego or personal importance stop you from correcting it. So imagine that heat-seeking missile not correcting itself because of its personal importance. I'm a heat-seeking missile. I'm supposed to get it from the very get-go. Lock in like they're doing Top Gun. Never missing my target. Not <laughs> supposed to be me. If you have something similar to in your head about what yeah. perfection is, that you're supposed yeah. to always get it right. Mm. That's the thing. If that thing stops you from correcting your course, then that's... You're going to miss your mark. You're going to miss your goal. You're going to miss your target. You're going to miss what you want to create in life. The key is when you recognize you made a mistake, correct the decision and don't mm -hmm. let the conditioning or someone else's judgment stop you or derail you. Correct it because there's life. Today's the youngest you, young you will ever be. Mm -hmm. So you can say the last thing I forgave myself for the last time is realizing that sometimes I've let my ego stop me from changing the course and 
you know, for example, with my son's autism and his health and all that, there are times where ego gets in the way that doesn't let me change course. Hmm. And I stopped that. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Before we wrap, have you learned anything new about yourself from your romantic relationship? I love that you talked a lot about um, how you and your wife are in a different season of your marriage. What's something you just learned about yourself in this season through your relationship? Well, having spent, started this whole new journey, what I've learned about myself is one, I'm not as young as I once was. Mm. You know, but I'm I'm still young, you know, because yes, you are. Be, I'm still <laughs> yes. young as I will be, but I'm not that person that was. You know, I'm in this time that I've had myself, mm. just rediscovering what I like and what I don't like. You know, just you know, I, it's it's so easy to fall in the trap of uh, falling to old patterns, and yeah. the easy. I used to say that more frequently, but then I realized those old patterns are not even tempting to me. I'm not even at all interested in those old patterns. I'm not really interested in that. I'm actually all of a sudden, I'm more interested in reconnecting with people who I haven't been able to connect with in a long time and see, hey, how are you doing? So it's like, that's part of my wife. is so, She's also going through that with her friends. All of a sudden, I'm like, all right, with this extra time we have, who am I? Hmm. and what do I like what I don't like so you know it's like all right I like working out but I can't fill my whole day with that I like watching television but I can't fill my day with that either I like to listen to music but I can't feel that all the time so all right what are what are the things that I enjoy that's going to redirect you know it's like even this you know like uh, writing books like do I want to write another book at the moment I don't feel like writing Mm. I like teaching. Um, I'll do continue doing that. That'll be fun. That'll be interesting. But it's just one of those things. Like, what do I want to create with the time that I have? Yeah. And it's it's basically recognizing that my old patterns, which is the old way of making decisions, is no longer there. All right, who is this guy making? Because I'm knocking on fifty. What do I want my 50s to look like? Mm. Mm. I'd love you to leave our audience with tools. One on how do we investigate the stories we tell ourselves before bringing it to our partners? A lot of the book talks about it's not what somebody's doing. It's how we think of what they're doing, which I resonated so deeply with. How do we first investigate those stories? And then my second part, I'll actually ask you the second after. So how do we investigate those stories first? Well, it's always done to your emotions. I like to I like to use my emotions as a instrument of awareness. It's like my emotions are real. What triggers them may not be real. Mm. Kind of like a car alarm. If someone touches a car, the alarm will go off. So what's my my reaction? So you know, for example, like emotions are real. What triggers them may not be real. For example, it's my son. When I first held my son in my arms when he was born. I was in bliss. I was I was having a moment of holding him in my arms and it felt good. It felt wonderful. I'm just enjoying it. And then my thoughts all of a sudden remembered something called SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. I read about it when I was 
in the how to in the how to classes so how to be a father and i took the classes i read the book what to expect when you're expecting and all that kind of thing <laughs> and i was aware of it all of a sudden the idea that sids can hit my son nothing changed i was still in the room i'm still holding him but all of a sudden little by little my body just began to feel a fear like i've never experienced before mm. now nothing changed but my mind was fertile ground for that fear and it was real but what triggered it wasn't real because my son just celebrated 17 years of his life he was not experiencing sids but the what if was there and i answered it with a worst case scenario mm. right then and there a trigger a new one was exposed back then 17 years ago it was there and it took me some time to process it and to a certain point i still have it you know, sometimes I still move him to make sure that he's breathing. <laughs> That's something we parents still do. Yeah. But it's something that is there. And I recognize that it's, it wasn't just that. It's somewhere else. So in the stories I tell myself, I check in with myself emotionally. What emotional reaction is this bringing up? If it's an emotional reaction that brings a lot of emotional poison, then I have a choice not to share with my wife yet because it's still still raw still wound and i don't want to bring that emotional poison into it but i will bring it up when i'm ready to process it with someone else mm. meaning by that the willingness to hear it from someone else's point of view being reflected back and what i mean by that sometimes we share a story and when they reflect it back to us we get angry we get upset and just eh. All right, I recognize that's happening. I'm not going to be sharing it. Mm -hmm. But once I get to the point where I recognize, okay, I'm okay with sharing it. I'm, I've processed this long enough to, it's, I'm just bouncing the ball within myself in my own head. And it's just back, bouncing back and forth. I've got to the point where I just want to let it out. I let it out. And knowing that now it's become not a me process, but I'm finding a soundboard that someone can, see it from someone else's point of view and be willing to hear it mm -hmm. if i'm not willing to hear their soundboard then i'm not ready but if i'm ready to have a soundboard reflected in their point of view and learn from it yeah that's what now share it. that's really dope that's really cool lastly how can somebody start the journey of rekindling self-commitment i will say that was such an impactful chapter i recognize in my dating history sometimes you say like yeah i love i love going to museums i love this random thing i say i love because i've always loved it right and then you're recognizing oh i don't really know i mean i did find out later i actually do like museums but there's just that long list of things you say you like and in the book you were so you really gave us space to take time to find that out and i i felt a little exposed, I guess, and a little like scared to tell somebody like if they asked me something I like, and I'm actually just not sure and just letting that be the answer. I don't really know if I like that, but I'm open to trying. Definitely. And that's been really exciting. And that new I just went golfing recently on a date, actually. And I was like, wow, this was really fun. I had no idea I'd never been before. And it was yeah. such a cool moment of freedom. And I just would love to, you know, have our audience walk away with that experience of just constantly recommitting to themselves and rekindling that that commitment because again like you said it's tied to our boundaries it's tied to our self-respect and our unconditional love for ourselves so how can we go on that journey um you just yeah. said it <laughs> i mean that was my i wanted to give my experience no, in that because i was, that was so oh, that was perfect because that's 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 actually the 
that's actually the perfect version. It's like the win the willingness to like all of a sudden realize I'm gonna break a pattern and see what that feels like. And right. that's exactly it. All of a sudden mm -hmm. you realize that when you break a pattern, you realize, oh, you discovered a side of you that you never thought of, that you mm -hmm. actually didn't know was there, but it's there. Mm -hmm. I like more of this. Mm -hmm. And there it is. That's that's all you have all you need. That's it. That's it. That's it. Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., everyone. Such a pleasure to have you on the show and to be able to hear um, through your heart and your words and your wisdom. This was such an impactful interview and I'm so grateful for this book. Trust me, you will be inspired. You will be encouraged and you will go on a new level, I believe, of unconditional love. So thank you so much for sharing your words and your love with us. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's been an honor and it's been a lot of fun in it time just flew by thank you it did it did you're so welcome can't thank wait to have you on again looking forward to it it'll yeah. be fun thanks for listening to the human to human podcast and this episode with don miguel ruiz jr are you feeling how i'm feeling i would love your feedback on this episode as communication and relationships is really the beginning and the end of creating everything in between with that said, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, leave a review, and while you're at it, share this with someone you love or just someone you like as long as you share it. Stay connected between episodes and follow us on Instagram at human to human with Stacey Ike. I'm your host, Stacey Ike, and remember, curiosity is the pathway to consciousness, so let's take the next step together. This episode was produced by executive producer Stacey Ike, producer Paris McCoy, and associate producers Henrietta Bayemi and Emma Jackson. Audio engineer Brian Schaefer. Theme music pieces by After the Fall. Music released by Chill Out Records. Post-production audio by the Revolt Podcast Network. And special thanks to our guests, supporters, and the entire team at Human to Human Productions. needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off ba da ba ba ba